0: Hey, everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And as you know, this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, And substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting fhehealth.com. That's fhehealth.com. And folks, uh, today my guest is Susanna Navis. And I want to talk to you uh, uh, about her a little bit because our our paths came across in a mutual work that we do. Many of you know that I teach spin classes, which is stationary cycling classes. And I got into that uh, years ago. I actually got into it prior to. Uh, recovery however when I got into recovery spinning and exercise and fitness and wellness really became a part of my recovery program and uh, if you're interested I did a podcast on it a while back talking about how I got into spinning so you might find that kind of interesting but um Suzanne Susanna does the sort of the same thing in the wellness arena and she is currently working on a, a master's in education in clinical mental health counseling and uh, she plans to graduate next year in 2023 but she's also a certified life purpose and career coach, a yoga instructor, a recovery coach, and we're going to talk to her about that. USA triathlon coach, I need a lot of help in that area, and an internal family systems coach, so she's got a lot of certifications, and we're going to talk to her about how she got into this field and what it is that she does, and today, she's going to be talking about what we would call in this field sort of the high-bottom, high-bottom recovery and we've spent a lot of time talking about how drugs and alcohol and mental health issues, all of that, can really take you down into the the areas of desperation. But, you know, the, here's the good news, folks. You don't have to wait until you get to the point of desperation. You can nip things in the bud early on, and and that's going to be the central focus of what we talk about today. She does have a website. It's called the rebootcoach.net. And uh, I am really excited about having Susanna on the the podcast. So thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, Mike. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and why is it that you do the work that you're doing?
1: <laughs> well, because it keeps me out of trouble. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I would say that it's interesting. I would never have imagined not only that I'd be doing all this type of work I'm doing, but even that I would be about six and a half years alcohol free or sober so congratulations um, that's that's a
0: big deal it is
1: yeah thank you and i know you just celebrated your 10th year so that is amazing congratulations thank you Um, yeah so i guess i started off with i've always been really um athletic although i wasn't really an athlete growing up i was more into dance my mom made me do ballet forever and um, and I really didn't become, I didn't find my inner jock, I would say, until college, really. And then beyond that, and I did, I even got to the point where for my 40, so here I'm now aging myself, but for my 40th birthday, I did my first Ironman triathlon. Um, and then I did my second one on my 40, for my 41st birthday. But um, I would say just having that journey of, really just finding myself my inner athlete. I got really, um, connected with my body. I, when I was in high school, I did have an eating disorder. And so eventually I recovered from that. So I consider myself in learn long-term recovery from bulimia. And, um, and so it's always been an interesting journey for me, my relationship with my body. And I, also i mean now in retrospect so where i am now like you mentioned i'm getting my degree in clinical mental health counseling because as i became more into competing as a runner as a triathlete i became this triathlon coach i ran i started a program in an urban um, environment for youth to bring them into the sport of triathlon which i think is just such an amazing sport And so it's basically a free six week summer program to bring a very diverse group of kids into the sport. And, um, and by now it's, it's in multiple locations, really exciting how it's grown, but doing all of this really has made me. And then I also became a certified yoga instructor. So I've really become conscious of this mind, body, spirit connection. Um, and, As I got more and more into the yoga and and teaching it, uh, therapists started sending their clients to my yoga classes and they started to share with me how it was, they would, after my class, they would just feel so at peace. And, And it was something that, it was even more profound than what they were getting through talk therapy. And so I didn't really, I thought that was really nice and I was like, oh, you know, I guess it's really good to work out, whatever but one day when i was out running with my dog um we were attacked by a dog and so um, so i ended up really shaken by this experience and and then eventually uh, uh, and i was really i was on edge i was very I was crying for no reason i mean it was completely unlike me i'm usually really laid back and cheerful and and so on And so I reached out to a dog trainer that I know, and he said, oh, Suzanne, that's classic um, PTSD. And that's actually really normal from the kind of attack you had. And I was like, well, what do I do about it? And he said, oh, you know, just it'll pass with time. And I'm like, what? Because I'm kind of an impatient person. But anyway, so then the next day I went for a run without my dog, and I did not go past that other dog's house. And that didn't help, which was unusual. Normally I feel really, I love running. And then the next day I taught yoga and when I teach the class, I generally do the class with the students. And so at the end of the class, all of a sudden I realized I felt totally back to normal. It's like I had reset my system. And so that started my whole journey into learning what is it about our yoga and other physical practices that help with healing with mental health with things like ptsd and anxiety and depression and so on so and then i started to learn about trauma in general and you probably have heard this there's a great book with the title the body keeps the score
0: oh yeah it's so, a good
1: book. yeah yeah it's excellent and so it really started me down this whole path and then um tragically my cousin died by suicide mm. Um, I, I was aware of, at the time we were living in Connecticut and we were in the town right next to Newtown where the school shooting happened, the Sandy Hook elementary school um, shooting. And so, um, so I knew several of the parents whose children had been murdered in that attack. I, a lot of people from that community started coming to my yoga classes. And so I felt that I had a responsibility to learn how can I be a more effective um, teacher and practitioner. But I was also interested in my own um, journey through this because especially I started to become aware of my mm-hmm. own relationship with alcohol, which I was definitely a late comer to that game. Um, and so I really, uh, I was one of those people who never drank in high school. I honestly didn't even start drinking until I joined a sorority in college. But then even then it was, um, I mean, I definitely was a partier and so on, but I i got to the point where all of this together, you know, being an athlete, being a yoga instructor, a triathlon coach, somebody who, at least in my area, uh, is what's looked upon as a role model in health. I was really, I, I found that I was becoming more and more conscious of how hypocritical I felt because people thought of me as being this really, you know, healthy person. And yet I had this dirty little secret that I would have, even just the thought of, um, of taking a break from alcohol. I mean, when I was doing my high level competitions, you know, like the Ironman and all that, I would take a, you know, maybe a month off of drinking um, and it wouldn't be a big deal. But now at this point, um, a few years later, I realized that it had actually, I would sit there and think, when was the last time I didn't drink at least one glass of wine or one beer? Um, And so that started to, I started to hear that voice that was basically, I was experiencing shame around that. I was also very cognizant of the fact that at the time my kids were in, I believe it was sixth and ninth grade or thereabouts. And so they were both, they'd already been getting the messages from DARE and other programs at school that, um, you know, about how toxic alcohol is for you and don't do drugs and, when, and don't drink and drive and don't, so, you know, you don't have to have all that stuff when you socialize. And yet here I am thinking, cause I've always been that, that leader part of me has always believed that a leader goes first. And that, especially as a parent, we are our children's greatest influencers, even when they're teenagers, especially when they're teenagers, even though they don't want to admit it. And so, um, so I was thinking, I don't want to be one of those parents who says to your kids, well, do as I say, but not as I do. And yet, whenever we socialized, there were a couple of other families that we would hang out with a lot. The parents would all be drinking and quite heavily. You know, the kids started telling me uh, the next day after we would be at at these people's houses. Oh, so and so. He just got so loud. It's because he's drinking, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my kids are totally paying attention to this. And so that was really starting to rub me wrong. Um, And then I just got really, started to get really tired. You know, there was a lot going on in the world at the time, a lot of um, chaos in the world, uh, you know, globally. But then on top of it, my husband was traveling every other week to, to Europe. And so, and there was just a lot of upheaval around. And I thought, and this is what I still believe that as a parent, my primary job is to have a safe, calm space for my children and for my husband. And so if I'm really tired, if I'm disorganized, if I'm letting go of things that would normally um, be aligned with my values, you know, if I'm not being as reliable, if I'm not being the solid anchor for them, then I'm not being the mom that I really want to be or the wife that I want to be or the human that I, you know, really want to be. And so, so one day I just was so exhausted and I actually said something really mean to my son. Um, and I just broke down and I thought, okay, I really, there's so much right now outside of my control. And at the time, I don't know that I even knew the serenity prayer, but, um, but I just remember thinking there's so much outside of my control, but one thing that is within my control that I have the power to edit while I still have the power to edit, I should is alcohol. And it, Scared me. Like, I couldn't even imagine not having it as an option. You know, I, I was, when I would fast forward in my head to, well, we're going away, our family trip to, I don't know, wherever, say Europe. Uh, I can't imagine going to, Scotland and not trying the whiskey and France and not having the wine and same thing with Spain. You know, it just it it, it couldn't even I couldn't fathom doing that. And so I basically said, all right, this is not a long term thing, but right now I'm just going to take a break from alcohol. And so I did it very quietly, didn't tell anyone, didn't even tell my husband. And I just decided, and as a coach, I know that when we, when we let go, or when we're trying to replace an unhealthy habit with something more healthy or more positive, um, we really need to to be intentional about thinking, okay, what are the triggers? What is the desired effect of whatever that behavior is? And what's a healthier way to achieve that? Because we're always gonna have, say, 6 p.m., gotta make dinner. And then we're always going to want to achieve the result of feeling um, relaxed or celebrating or unloading stress or whatever. So what is something I can put in between that? And so I start to be really intentional with that, noticing, okay, this is when I would normally have a glass of wine or two or three or whatever. Um, what can I do instead? So, what I ended up doing was drinking a heck of a lot of herbal tea and knitting a lot of scarves. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> like so that. when, yeah, so then eventually, I put together a few weeks, and by then, um, I had my husband noticed, and you know he noticed when he got back from one of his trips and he was pouring me a glass of wine. And I'm like, uh yeah, I'm I'm still on a break. And he's like, oh, how long is this break lasting? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm just taking it, you know, one week at a time because I didn't know the one day at a time thing for me. <laughs> yeah. Remember, well, remember, I, I at this point as an endurance athlete, I need like scary goals. You know, like just doing one day at a time wasn't scary or intense enough for me. I need something more. So I, um, so then I, I but then. As a coach, I was really curious. I was like, well, I've heard about this whole recovery thing. Let me see what that's all about. And so I went online and I found Smart Recovery. Um, And so I saw that they had these online chat rooms and then they also had – like a workbook. And so I ordered the workbook and I joined the women's chat room. And then from that, I got some suggestions for some recovery podcasts. So I started listening to some recovery podcasts. I got the workbook, which is basically a CBT thing, cognitive behavioral therapy. So basically things like, list the pros and cons of drinking, list the pros and cons of not drinking. And I loved that exercise because that really made me, you know, on paper, it was like a come to Jesus moment, like, oh my gosh, there really aren't that many pros to drinking. and Look at all the pros to not drinking. So that was really motivating to me, very clarifying. And, and so then, uh, and then I was listening to these podcasts and, Um, And then I also decided to write a blog where I basically said, uh, so it's been three weeks since I stopped, since I took a break because I still wasn't ready to think long term here. Um, Because just like you mentioned in the intro, I didn't have a, a disastrous low bottom, you know, I didn't have any health issues. I didn't have any ultimatums from my husband or anyone else. It wasn't bankrupt. I wasn't under a bridge with a paper bag. I didn't have any DUIs. It was more this inner nagging um, where I just felt I was ashamed. I felt like a fraud, like an imposter. Talk about imposter syndrome big time. And, and I just... Uh, and then actually there were a couple things that really planted some important seeds for me. One was an acquaintance of mine posted on Facebook, uh, probably two years before I actually um, took my break, but she, she posted on Facebook um, something like by the grace of God, seven years sober today or something like that. And I was shocked because this was a woman who, from, you know, all outside appearances seemed like she really had her stuff together. Mm -hmm. Very, you know, beautiful, beautiful kids, successful family, all that. And I was just shocked. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was shocked that first of all, that she had an alcohol problem because that's not what I imagined um, an alcoholic to be. And then second of all, that she would actually post that, uh, Publicly. So I sent her a message and I didn't say anything about myself. I just said, Oh, I saw your post. That's awesome. I'd love to have coffee with you. And then we actually didn't have coffee until about two years later. <laughs> but but so that was one. Um and then uh and then Elizabeth Vargas, a newscast person, she she wrote a memoir. Oh yeah. She actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, actually it was before she wrote the memoir. She was on 60 Minutes or one of those, I can't remember. And so, and I found her story so compelling. And again, she was an example to me of somebody who seemed really successful and high functioning. And that was not what I thought of as as somebody who had a problem with alcohol. And so that was also, and, and it was another thing that with both of these women, I noticed that there was a part of me that was really envious of what they had. And that was, that was a big um, clue to me that there was something about this that that was interesting to me. And, and then there was, there was a newspaper article saying that there was a kid, I didn't even know the kid, but apparently some kid who needed an organ donation. It might've been liver, partial liver donation or something like that. And I was so disgusted with myself because I was like, I would never even pass their their tests to see if I would be a viable donor. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's terrible. I love kids. I do so much for them in my volunteer work and my other work. And I wouldn't even be able, if my own kid needed it, I probably wouldn't pass their requirements. And so there were these little things that were just planting seeds where I started to realize that I wasn't um, living the, the kind of I, I wasn't the person I really wanted to be or that I appeared to be on the outside to others and I just didn't like that incongruence yeah. so
0: wow. yeah so basically I, yeah go ahead no no I was gonna say it you know you, you hit some good points and I think it's important for the listeners to understand because many of our, our listeners may be thinking the same thing you know it is very common, particularly in the treatment center where I was working, that people would say, you know, I, I'm not an alcoholic. Now, understand, I, I'm in a, working in a treatment center, and people have come to a 28-day treatment, and they're going, you know, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, or I don't think I have a problem with drugs. Because, Mike, you don't understand, I'm not on the street. I still have a job. I'm still married. My wife hasn't left. I still have my kids. And I think that that's one of the misconceptions out there, that yeah. everybody that has a drug or alcohol problem Are homeless and don't have jobs and you know all these types of things the fact is if you look at the data very few people the very small percentage of people fit that category the destitute category most people that have addiction problems are what we would consider from the outside successful and that's what really throws people off is they think my my problem couldn't be that bad i haven't lost my job i haven't lost my marriage but um most people, and I think that that's that myth, and there's a great documentary out there that if you haven't seen it or if the listeners haven't seen it, it's called Anonymous People, and it's put I out it. by... Have you seen that? Have you seen that video? Yes. Um, yes and they I one of the it. points that yeah. they make is that um, who um who's in recovery is not who you think is in recovery. That there are very, very successful people. But the problem is, because there's been misinterpretation of the traditions, particularly the 12-step traditions over the years, that we've been trained to not talk about being in recovery. The problem with that is that by not talking about a recovery, people don't know where to go to get into recovery when they need to. And that was a misunderstanding of the spiritual tradition of anonymity, when really what the, being anonymous meant that um, the people that this is a safe space for the newcomer. I can talk about my recovery all day long, but I can't talk about you. I need to protect you, but people have misinterpreted that. But I, I I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I just thought I'd throw that in.
1: I am so glad you threw that in because, um, I was actually going to mention the anonymous people because I 100% agree with you that, Partially because of this tradition, which I don't know if it's misinterpreted or if it's just, you know, not really relevant to today's times or what. But unfortunately, we don't, um, we don't realize that there are millions of people out there who are living really healthy, productive, successful lives right now. And they just, they stop drinking you know whether they consider themselves in recovery or or not whether they're still going to 12-step meetings or not there's this um it's almost like this yes it's a tradition where you kind of have to be really careful about who you talk to about being in recovery going to 12-step meetings and what this has done is, especially with the anonymous people shows us, is it's really um, set back the advancements of, say, reducing stigma yeah. of public health policies. I mean, if we had more people who have figured out this thing and are now in recovery, if we had them out there advocating for things like better treatment, like um, I know you mentioned in one of your podcast episodes with somebody that... The 28-day model is ridiculous. It's it's not, you know, it's definitely, especially now when, you know, a, a lot of these treatment centers were started because of alcohol, and now we have... All these other drugs, you know, opiates and so mm. on, that really do require a different approach to recovery. And a 28-day model is is ridiculous. You know, oh, so, it's very
0: ineffective. Yeah. There's a lot it of research really that shows that it's a very, yeah. very low success rate. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. Right. I was just talking to someone today in the in the health care industry that uh, we we some very people that understand addiction really need to readdress this and get out of the box and and re think new models of that because it's a very low yeah. uh, we we would never accept the success rate in any other field uh and allow mm-hmm. this to continue on without readdressing the issue and coming up with something better yeah. we wouldn't it's so true
1: it's so oh my gosh it's so true i guess that's a whole other episode but mm-hmm. but yeah so that's one of the reasons why i love that you're doing this podcast is and that you're out there talking because we do have to we have to see that you can be a super, you know, smart, successful, happily married, blah, blah, blah person and still have this aspect of yourself, which I mean, as far as I'm concerned, when somebody is, you know, like I mentioned before, not when you were recording, but now with the pandemic, there's been a huge uptick in people with substance use disorders and for example, just women, Women's alcohol consumption, the women who um, who basically today would be categorized as heavy drinkers, that portion has gone up 40% since the pandemic. And so it's, uh, it's really important that we talk about this because our society really glamorizes alcohol. I mean, I don't know if you watch uh, TV or shows, but every single streaming show that I watch uh, I should have a tally of how many times somebody pours themselves or somebody else a drink. I mean, and it doesn't matter if they are r- relieving stress from a stressful day, if they are angry. So of course it makes sense to have, you know, a bottle of Jack Daniels or they're celebrating something. So of course they've got to have the spirits, you know, every single episode has a, a ton of alcohol. So we're really glamorous, uh, glamorizing it. We're normalizing it, especially, my kids are now in college. My youngest just started as a freshman in college. And this is a real concern that I think parents should have. If they don't, they should, is how much um, binge drinking is normalized on college campuses. And so our whole culture in the U.S. Um, is, is, like I think of how um, we we tend to look at alcohol as the main attraction at gatherings and at parties and in college and so on, as opposed to a lot of other cultures, just looking at, look at it as sort of like the, the the accessory on the side. Right. And so, so this is why I think if where we are today, if we can just have this conversation of, you know what, you don't have to be at the end of your rope with certain things. Like you said, that low bottom today, if you start to just pay attention to um, even your body, you know, if if you feel like you're not sleeping well, if you're having anxiety, if you're having headaches, migraines, um a lot of people aren't even aware that those things are actually tied to their alcohol. Even just one glass of wine at dinner can actually impact your sleep quality. It can ratchet up your anxiety, which a lot of people, especially women think, oh my gosh, this glass of wine just makes my anxiety go down. But the opposite happens. Um, And so anyway, so where I was going with this is that when we consume substances or engage in different behaviors that are not substances, it could be other things that fall under the umbrella of addiction. um, It really is just to, it's to cope. And we've had the last two years you know, with the pandemic and all the other stuff going on with social unrest and, you know, people losing jobs and, you know, the, the tossing so much to fill your car and get your groceries and so on. It's a stressful time. And and so I think it's really understandable that oh especially when schools were closed and I cannot even imagine what it was like to have little kids at home and you're trying to work from home. All those couples, that amount of stress they were under and single moms and so on. And so of course you want to find some relief. And when Trader Joe's has a whole table out there saying mommy's helper, $2 a bottle. I think it makes sense that so many women would gravitate toward that. So, um, so I think what really, uh, what I'm hoping by coming on your episode today is to maybe, um plant a seed the way others had planted seeds for me through Facebook and so on that perhaps this is an opportunity to really think, you know, before getting to that point where you're forced to take stock of things and make some changes, maybe now is a good time to, to really think, huh, maybe, maybe there is a, another way. And, and you know, and I just did, like I said, I did it a little bit at a time. I, I, got the smart recovery tools. I started building other, you know, things that I I guess would be like self-care tools like with the tea and the knitting. Honestly, I really thinned out my social, my Rolodex, if people even know what that is anymore. (laughs) I do. I chose my age. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was aware that certain people were, um, were not, they would probably not be very supportive of my, you know, not drinking and so on. And, and I mean, let's be honest. If, if you feel like when you're hanging out with certain people that you always need to be drinking around them, then I would challenge you to question whether or not you actually enjoy those people, whether or not you're really deeply connected to them. And, um, and I think the one, you know, a good thing about the pandemic is I know that for me, it really um, it, it forced us to simplify our lives to a large extent. And so now mm-hmm. we have the opportunity as things have been opening up. And so and we have the opportunity to pick and choose what do we want to invite back into our life? Who do we want to invite back? That's
0: in? a good point. Yeah.
1: So I think, um, so I definitely, I was on the down low for a while there. And, and I did end up going to a 12-step meeting um, to check it out because I was like, First of all, I was like, okay, and this is maybe a bit, a bit of an excuse, but I thought, I'm a coach. I am going to release this blog about what I'm doing. So people are probably going to reach out to me. So I want to know what the recovery options are. So I should go and check out AA and so I can, you know, s- speak about it, it's, you know, suggested it for somebody if it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. But then, um, but the other reason I wanted to go to AA is because, quite frankly, I didn't know anybody else in my area that didn't drink or at least that I knew of. And I was like, I, I, and I know this is going to sound funny, but I thought, all those people who were super fun and kind of crazy in their twenties—they're probably in AA right now—and I want to go hang out with them.
0: <laughs> That's where all the cool people are. <laughs> exactly. That's where I am. Yeah. A,
1: yeah. So I went, and so I, you know, I didn't go because I needed it in order to keep, just to, to not drink as much as I wanted to go in order to feel more connected. And then eventually, yeah. I, I learned how, um, you know, like Yoan Hari has that whole Ted talk and he has a whole book about um, about connection and or about uh, addiction and so on. And he's basically, he said the, the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. And yep. so, and that's really, I could not agree more with that. I think um, in general with a lot of things with mental health is once we start to feel more connected with other like-minded people, with our body, with activities that give us purpose and that we feel engaged with, uh, connected with nature, you know, all these different things. I think it, they're like the missing pieces of the puzzle, especially for a lot of people today in our modern life. And so, and that's kind of what I was rebuilding for myself.
0: Wow, that is so well put, and and I like that. Uh, and. You know, you talk about smart recovery, and and that is definitely a tool. There's a lot of programs that are out there, a lot of programs. And, you know, the biggies are AANA. Al-Anon, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast. Smart Recovery, you just mentioned one. Another one's Dharma. Um, so if you have a Buddhist tradition, that's something that um, you might want to check out. Uh, if you're somebody that wants to be Christian-focused, Celebrate Recovery is something that's out there. But whatever whatever your background is, there's, there's a program that's out there for you. And you mentioned smart recovery, very CBT. That's um, a cognitive behavioral therapy centered. A um, lot of really good techniques and and information out there, and and check those out. And what we do is we re- encourage people that to explore. You know what? Explore all these things. And you know your life, your life can't not get better. And I just want to address one thing too. You mentioned um, this. You know, when you stop drinking, like, how do you because I get that a lot, too, from people that come to me. Well, Mike, what am I going to do? You know, like, I can't. Mm-hmm. How, how am I going to have fun? How am I going to hang out yeah. with people? What are people going to say? And and maybe get your thoughts on this. But what I have found is that nobody really gives a damn whether I drink or not. You know, the person, what I found was the only person that worried about me not drinking was me. Um, mm-hmm. There, If I, you know, and I was a very, very heavy drinker. So, I mean, a lot of people was like, you know, they noticed that, well, then again, they they all knew that I went, I was never secretive about the fact that I was in recovery. But I can tell you this, that it really did not change my life um, at all. I mean, so I go to parties and I don't drink. I I People don't care. They care about their own yeah. drinking. They, they don't care whether, you know, folks, the only way I can put it to you is the next time you're at a party, see if people really pay attention to what you do. And then furthermore, ask yourself, do they really care what you do? They don't. They care about what they're doing. Um, I remember the last time my my son was graduated from college and they had like this, this party, you know, the, the, his close friend group, the parents had like a little party at a country club. And I remember walking in. I don't know these parents, so they don't know that I'm in recovery. And I do remember one of the fathers coming up and I, and I had a cup of coffee and I was walking up and he goes, Hey, what are you doing? You're drinking coffee. Come on. It's an open bar. It's a free bar. You got to drink. And I just said, Uh, you know, no, listen, I got to, as soon as we're done tonight, I got to teach spin tomorrow. Um, um, you know which was actually true i said i gotta drive back to uh, northern virginia tonight and you know and he goes oh what a shame so you can't even mm-hmm. drink tonight because you gotta head back and i go yeah i know and he and and he moved on and it was just like like he didn't care yeah it makes yeah. sense i got you gotta drive tonight well okay great it sucks sucks to be you that was kind of the but then we moved on nobody cares really Nobody really cares. Yeah. And um, I actually don't have anyone in my life that's not in my life anymore because I don't drink. But I just let even that thought sink in. If somebody was not in my life anymore because I don't drink, just let that sink in for a minute. Do I really need that person in my life? If that was their only connection to me, was my drinking, mm-hmm. and now they're not going to connect with me, I don't really yeah. think you want to have that relationship anyway. But um, yeah. I can tell you my, my relationships have gotten closer, if anything. You know, I, I I thought about my wife doesn't drink. She's never really drank. And, you know, I've, I've never had somebody come up to me and go, hey, Mike, um, I couldn't help but noticing. But your wife never drinks. Um, what's up with mm-hmm. that? What, what's going yeah. on with your wife? You know, who has that conversation? Nobody, nobody cares. So I don't, right. that's just how that's been my experience. Is has that been your experience as well?
1: Well, it's interesting because I was always the first one and the last one to, the first one on and the last one to leave the dance floor. Like that was, that was sort of my identity as, um, like always really fun, a little bit wild. And so th- that was a big part of why I delayed, um, taking my break, you know, because I was like, oh my gosh, if, and especially because I was, in a small town in connecticut basically a stay-at-home mom i've always had side gigs but but the the whole mom thing the the domestic front was always my main thing since having kids 21 years ago and so and so it was drinking you know that became my dirty little secret that quite frankly and this is why you know now that i'm i'm working in mental health as a therapist and so on is I really have so much compassion for people who do, who engage in behaviors that we consider um, self destructive because I really do believe, and it could, whether it, it might not be alcohol, it might be, um, I don't know, binging on food, you know, like the cookies or Amazon shopping, whatever it is that keeps you from, from basically deserting your current life because. Um, it's so stressful or you feel trapped, you know, maybe you're trapped in a really um, dysfunctional relationship, but it's unfathomable to you right now how to escape it. So alcohol or whatever the thing is might be your way to tolerate where you are. Maybe it's your job but you really need the money, but you can tolerate where you are because you have this escape. And so, um, so for me, I always, uh, there was a part of me that really resented being not, I hate to say stuck at home because that sounds, because I had the privilege to do that, Mm -hmm. to make that choice, stay home. Um, But the reality is that it's very tedious being a mother and it's very, there are a lot of times where, you have extremely boring days, extremely frustrating days, you know. Depending on what's going on with your kids and so on, you're very isolated, especially in the Northeast in the winter. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I imagine this has been the reality for a lot of people with the pandemic—super isolated. And so, anyway, so for me, having the this um, the alcohol thing was sort of like my dirty little secret, so I could still. You know retain a part of me that basically got put on hold when i um became a mom but then also um when i did you know when i went out and all that i was i wouldn't say the life of the party because i'm not a huge attention seeker but i like to have fun you know it's always a good time with me and so i was afraid that if i stopped drinking that if i went to say another work conference that was very drinky how am i going to handle that or if I'm going out to dinner with um, even with my husband, you know, my husband and I met in our late twenties. We were drinking buddies. We always were. Like, how do I, how do I renegotiate all of those scenarios? But most of all, my identity and how I show up in those different situations. And so that was something that that really, even though I didn't have a physical reliance on alcohol it was part of that identity that i had yeah. as the fun person and this person that um that i was really afraid to let go of because i already had to set such an extent as a as a mom and so i think that what happened was that i went to a work conference one of these drinky ones when i was probably five weeks sober it was very early on But I I had a friend that was going, and I told her beforehand, I'm like, "Uh, I need you as my support person there. And she's like, oh, that's fine. I won't drink either, and we'll just go to bed early. I'll be your roommate, and we'll get up early in the mornings and go for sunrise runs. That was huge for me. And the interesting thing was I realized, because I was normally this other friend and I, we were the ones who were like the party queens at these conferences, and so... Um, I was really stressed out beforehand, like, oh, my gosh, what is she going to think now? I'm basically abandoning her. I feel really bad. But you know what happened is she quickly found somebody else to fill that. With the the void that I had left, she found somebody else. Mm -hmm. This other person became her, you know, co-conspirator in (laughs) in all of these antics. And so I was free to do my thing, and it was totally fine. Kind of like what you said is – we're so – we we can be really concerned about what other people think, but it's never – they're never thinking about – and if they are thinking about us, the reality is, who cares? It's not middle school anymore.
0: No, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not middle school. And, and the thing is, is that as much as we think about ourselves, remember, we're not unique. Every other person mm-hmm. at the end of the day is really thinking about themselves too. And if you, you yeah. develop that reputation, is, you know the thing is, the longer you're in sobriety too, the more you you know like you talk about how you were the party girl, you were the life of the party. Well, and when you're sober long enough, you become known as the guy or the gal that doesn't drink. And that's kind of... And
1: it's still fun.
0: Yeah, and it's still... I mean, uh, the one thing I'm not accused of is, you know, like if you're in a room with me, and you know me, I mean, you've met me before. Uh, I, I like to have fun. And that's... For those for those of you that are listening, you're thinking, oh, I can't get into recovery because my life is over. I'll never have fun again in my life. Mm-hmm. Be around a bunch of recovery people. Uh, mm-hmm. We love to have fun. And, and I will tell I, you yeah. that I probably have had more fun and laughter and joy in my life, being around recovery people, than than people that are not in recovery. We love to have fun. Uh, we just don't need to get obliterated when we're having fun anymore. And, and the fact is, at the point that my drinking was at, there was, nobody was having any fun, me or anyone around me. That was mm-hmm. you got to understand the type of drinking that we're talking about is not a party. It, it's yeah. sickness and. Um, there was absolutely nothing fun about it, but I'm having fun now, and and you're having fun and living life to your your fullest, right? And um, yeah, yeah, you know, it it life actually does get better, and that's one of the reasons. Like like you talked about going to meetings, and 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 I've heard it said, and and you you had a slightly different way of putting it, but very similar concept that addiction is isolation and recovery is community, and one mm. of the things that. the pandemic did for us. We shut down 12-step meetings. People weren't going. Ironically, we kept liquor stores open. That's a whole other podcast for another day. But we shut down the meetings. And so the the very thing that we needed, which was community and being around other people, we shut that down. Now, we had Zoom meetings that came up, and and Zoom has served its purpose. I get that. But there's nothing like being sitting down with a person face-to-face in the same room There's nothing that replaces that. Nothing that replaces that. And I'm glad that we're kind of moving back that way. And, um, you know, the thing is that people that have come into recovery during the last two years in recovery, um, a lot of people don't really, the new people don't understand what recovery was like before in that community. Because I personally, I like 12-step meetings. I like my best Mm -hmm. friends. All of my best friends are in recovery right now. All Mm -hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Or and you know I don't know what what your experience has been, but uh, even professionally I've I've made some great professional contacts in recovery yeah. meetings. You don't know who you're going to meet oh, at meetings.
1: Yeah. It's so true, and even I mean when I moved to Virginia from Connecticut five years ago, that I started going to meetings here, and that's where I you know it's like instant friends, and it's not. I always said one of my favorite things about meetings is that it's one of the First of all, it's one of the most diverse places, spaces I've ever been in. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, it's the no bullshit zone. Yeah. You know, it's like usually when you're out and about in the world, everyone is um, they have their masks on. And this was before the pandemic mask, you know, like I'm talking the the figurative mask where uh, it's not it's not like we go out there intentionally faking everything's great but it's it's more like uh well why would i go out there and you know and be a hot mess you know like we're doing our best to all the time and so but what ends up be happening is that we then portray ourselves as being a certain way and um and it's not really it's usually not that authentic or genuine and so when you go into the rooms i would see these women who had you know, like super designer bags and just like look like they walked out of a magazine and then sharing, you know, these really hard things that were going on in their lives. And it was just, it was, it, it's such a privilege to be with people who are that honest. And it's so, um, you know, going back to that sense of connection, it's just a, a, a great reminder that we're all vulnerable. We all have stuff going on and we don't need to be doing it alone
0: yeah that is so true and so well said and real quick before we close out um Mm -hmm. so you uh have the the reboot coach and the website is rebootcoach.net and Mm -hmm. i want to really encourage people that are listening to check out your website and just if you could quickly just let them know what it is that you do and what could they expect from you, or what, what what kind of services would you be able to provide the listeners if they were to reach out to you?
1: Um, well, so right now, I'm, I would say just a coach, but um, as far as my certifications go, um, through that website, it's coaching, and so I work with teens as well as adults. I tend to, I love working with teenagers like high schoolers and college students. um, But basically with people who are dealing with things related to anxiety, um, just getting out of a rut of some kind. So that's typically what I've been doing in my coaching. And then now I'm actually finishing up my degree um, to be a therapist, but that's still not, you know, I haven't graduated yet, but so basically right now if I have if people want to talk to me about things like that they can go on my website see all the stuff that I do um, and then if I can't be of assistance or I you know if I don't have the time or the expertise I definitely have a huge network that I'm And I know a lot about different things, so I can certainly provide some resources if that's appropriate. Or people just want to reach out and and say hi, I always welcome connections. So, um, yeah.
0: That's fantastic. And there's a lot that you do. I mean, if you're in the the sports area, you're a triathlon coach, you're a yoga instructor, uh, recovery coach. And by the way, that's becoming a big thing now, uh, particularly in in this uh, area. this time because as you mentioned Susanna, a lot of people have been struggling during the pandemic so uh, if any of you have tried to reach out for a counselor or a therapist, you may find that it's a pretty long waiting list um, mm-hmm. particularly for addictions counselors and so coaching is is a big field so that's something mm-hmm. that's uh, important. and then um, you also do family systems coaching as well. So that's something another resource that you could provide, correct?
1: Yeah, that's, that's actually, that's a form of, there's this amazing um, approach in therapy called internal family systems therapy. So because I'm not a therapist yet, um, I'm, I haven't gone through that training for therapy, but I did go through the coaching and it's really helpful for whether you do with a coach or with a therapist. It's extremely helpful for things like addiction, depression, eating disorders, um, anxiety, Because basically what it is, is just like um, a family therapist will work with the different members of a family. With internal family systems, we see each person has a system of parts. And so, for example, um, a part of you, Mike, right now might be like, Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited to go teach spinning and see all the people. and then there and then you might also have a part of you that's like, "Oh my gosh, I just really want to veg in front of Ozark tonight <laughs> and get some pizza. You know, like yeah. like we always have all these parts within us. And so um, and so without getting too far into it, but I think that'll be really interesting for you is we have three generally. We have three types of parts. So there's the manager type which those are the parts that say, Mike, you need to end this phone call in about five minutes so that you can get to your job in time. You know, that's the part that gets you basically doing what you need to do to Mm -hmm. perform well at whatever your roles are. Then there's the um, exile parts. Those are the ones that you might have heard through your own um, education and training is more like the, the inner child, the wounded child. And so that's the part that might suffer from you know now and then feels like rejection feels shame lonely anger like all those things that you might put into the category of I don't like these feelings and so before maybe you would go to drink over them so that would be the exile parts and those that we call them exile because it feels really yucky and we tend to want to lock them in the basement Um, and so the third category is the firefighter parts and those are the parts that um, they come in to rescue as soon as that exile part starts to, you know, be heard where you start to feel like maybe you're, you know, in, in 12 steps to talk a lot about resentment. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're starting to feel resentful and you know that that is that feels really gross. So the firefighter steps in and says, "Uh oh yeah, no, we're not going to go there. So let's go take a drink. Let's go check Facebook for three hours, you know, and so on. Or, you know, people who dive into work, you know, the workaholics instead of uh, experiencing some vulnerability or intimacy with their family members. So, um, so those are the three main types of parts that can um, exist within our systems. So with IFS therapy or coaching, but like with therapy, you basically really work to get to know what are the parts. And, it's, and then the idea is that you integrate them because all of us have this self, which is, um, it's almost like another part, but it's who we are inside that, that you might consider as, you know, if you're in a religious tradition, you might think of it as the soul. But it's the part of us that is calm, compassionate, connected, creative, confident, like all these really good C words. And so when we're feeling when we feel good about ourselves, when we notice it, when we're engaged in something, an activity we really enjoy or we're with people that really lift us up or it sounds like you feel that way when you're in your 12 step community, um, that's when you are being self led. So. Um, so then maybe you so you go somewhere else where all of a sudden you're feeling triggered by something that that doesn't that, you know that makes you feel possibly you're you might fail at this or you know for whatever reason you don't feel self-confident you don't feel connected then then that's where you have to pay attention because a part might step in to say oh mike no you're not doing that right you know, you got to do blah, blah, blah. You know, it's almost like that's that really bad inner critic. Um, that would probably be your manager part stepping in or the part, again, a firefighter part might step in and say, all right, Mike, you know what, just avoid that whole situation and let's go and, uh, you know, eat a bunch of ice cream instead. If, you know, if, if that's a problem for you.
0: Yeah, that's, so, that's really good stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot of resources there, and I was looking at your website, mm-hmm. and there there's you, you got the blog on there, and you have Susanna's background on there, and all the different resources. And now we have the website the dot net. Is there any other socials that you'd like to put out for people that they can reach out to you on? Um. Honestly,
1: that's probably the best place right now, because since I'm up to my eyeballs in grad school, I'm not that much
0: on social media. <laughs> I, I, can, I can definitely relate to that. And I and on the website, you can contact Susanna through the website itself if you need to. And uh, But really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you, Mike. It was really fun, and I really look forward to hearing more of your episodes, so keep them coming.
0: Yeah, and we need to have you back on, because we had at least two areas that were like, ooh, that's Another podcast, and uh, mm. I'd like to hear more about it. In fact, um, you know, you you have experience with smart recovery, and I'd like to have somebody talk about that in more in depth. And there, there's some other areas that you talked about. In fact, um, for those of you that are trying to get into recovery, something that Susanna does, and a lot of it, it you find in recovery, people tend to really go you know, like it, it, We spend so much time abusing ourselves with alcohol and drugs, and then we get into recovery. And we almost become obsessive about um, taking care of ourselves. Now, we don't want to become obsessive about anything, but this this idea of health and fitness and how that can accentuate and, and accelerate and, and enhance your recovery is another possible topic that I'd like to uh, address. If sure. So if you'd be willing to come back on the program, I'd love to have you on and to discuss those issues.
1: I would love to talk about that because that's definitely something that I found lacking in 12-step meetings, you know? Yeah. People are smoking before and after and then passing around the donuts. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh, this is, and it's, it is. And so we didn't really, I'm also certified in yoga for sobriety. I'm a big, I know that there's also Y12SR, yoga 12 step recovery, Mm -hmm. Nikki Myers group. And, and I, I cannot recommend, especially, I do think there is a different, um path for women versus men a lot of times you know the addiction looks very different in uh, um in the genders and i feel like for a lot of times for in the recovery it's also it looks different based on where you are in your stage of life and and so on but whether you're you're male or female i think so so and i think that's another topic right there yeah yeah, but even just like bringing in the health and wellness, I think is a really important piece, um, especially for women because a lot of women who are um, have substance use disorder have a history of trauma yep. and a lot of times sexual trauma, and so there has been a disconnect from the body. So that really needs to come into it too.
0: Oh, absolutely! Abs- oh my goodness, you and I have about five different episodes that we can do. Together, and we're going to yeah. do it. We're going to do all five of them, and then I'm sure in those we're going to find out some more. So I'm so excited about that. Yes. Yeah, well, same thank, here. You. thank you. Thank you mean, again for coming on. Spin,
1: so yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Thank
0: you, and folks. This episode has been sponsored by FHE Health, and according to SAMHSA, first responders are thirty percent more likely develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. And FHE Health uh, specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com. And folks, as I'd like to say, I don't represent uh, any group. I, I know we talk about a lot of groups. Susanna talked about a lot of groups. We don't represent them, though. We just talk about... Uh, things that we've learned from these groups that we've applied to our lives and, and hopefully something that we've done that has helped us can help you as well and um, so if I said anything that doesn't apply to you or if Susanna doesn't said something that doesn't apply to you uh, or you don't agree with it then just to sc- to discard it but what you want to do is take any information that you can use to help yourself take that uh, because you can use it yourself and help others as well because that's what we do in recovery and, and with that please visit our uh, Facebook page page which is recovery is possible and our website which is com, and let me know if there's uh anything that you'd like to hear about a topic that you'd be interested in hearing about because i'd love to hear from you guys and you guys take care of yourselves as always appreciate you listening to the podcast susanna thank you for coming on the podcast we'll talk with you soon thank you